It's the Quotidian. It's part two of my conversation with Ethan Kobayashi Hsieh. Welcome back to the Quotidian Podcast. I'm Bradley Dennis. This is part two of my conversation with Ethan Kobayashi Hsieh. We spoke in the last episode about how the perspectives afforded by actor training and gender are richly rewarding and constantly evolving salience landscape and how this perspective lends itself well to exaptation. We continue to explore these themes and to dive deeper into the work in this episode. This show was produced by carolinacommons.org, a company dedicated to exploring, teaching, and celebrating the creative energies of the human spirit. For more information, please visit the website. And I want to thank you for being here and continuing your support of this work. And if you'd like to offer more direct, read financial support, please go to patreon.com forward slash the quotidian. Please enjoy the second half of my conversation with Ethan Kobayashi Hsieh. I think I've, I've gone on for too long. I will argue later. Please go. Well, there's several <laughs> things occur to me as you're talking about this. Yeah. One, you're you are approaching territory that I think Victor Turner and Richard Schechner really mm. wrestled with which is mm. how, but they were really pointing at how do we re-ritualize the theater and how do we make this a transformative experience for everyone? Mm. I had a thought recently about almost, it still happens to me to this day, going to see a film in a theater, almost regardless of what it is, uh, coming out of that, space and refusing to let go of the sensory world that I've just inhabited, that I'm now part mm. of. I mean, I remember it, especially as a kid, want, believing the world mm. that I just was just immersed in and mm. taking that with me mm. and trying to fly like Superman or, you know, imagine being in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader or whatever the context. But that yeah. that still happens to me watching a movie that I am now trying to speak in that dialect or I'm trying to move like that character or that I'm unwilling to let that go. And mm. that what you're talking about is in some sense, in my mind at least, is an invitation and an attempt to help the audience convey their that landscape that sense of salience that they were experiencing beyond the confines of the theater and to take it mm. and those ideas out into the world yes is that accurate that's very accurate that's very very accurate and, and that, that that would be the higher order that i'm that i'm thinking there's an element there of that that it has to be transferable into daily life so there's a, uh, I have a, a good friend who's a playwright 
Adam Sobsey, who wrote a, a short one act uh, solo performance called the Hangtown Fry, in which the performer, the Hangtown Fry is a recipe. It's an egg and oysters and some other stuff. And throughout the course of the performance, the actor cooks the recipe, makes mm. the dish, and then serves mm. it mm. to the audience. And so there's, there is a literal, I mean, there's, you're breaking the wall. Number one, because it's very much like, um, you know, like swimming to Cambodia or Spalding Gray, where mm. we're now into, you know, postmodern kind of post theater, uh, post-dramatic stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Post-dramatic theater paradigms here. But this idea that we can, we can forego the convention. We can set that aside. And we mm. can still, we can, it's the theater of the mind, right? It's now, okay, now mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a story and I'm not going to enact it here. I might give you some little sensory cues. There might be a screen behind me. I might have some sound effects that'll help you get into the mind frame or I'll cook this meal and, and serve it to mm -hmm. you so that you can, you can, you can feel the sense of anticipation. You can feel your your taste buds, you're, you're starting to salivate, you can smell, you can see there was one <laughs> performance where the woman cut herself so bad that she actually had to go to the hospital, get stitches, and then mm -hmm. came back and finished the show. And, and, you know, and so now you're part of that as well. Yeah. So I, there's something specific about, about that intention that is so divested from our normal conventions of the theatrical experience that it takes mm. it to a very different place but it also invites each person to think of themselves vis-a-vis -vis this theater of the mind as a performer because that's ultimately what we're talking about with tiamat yes the theater of self is you enact this happens yeah. in your mind i might be doing it on stage but you are as important and pivotal to this conversation, to this uh, aesthetic event as I mm -hmm. am. I, mm -hmm. you know, I can't play the violin, you can, but I can create this thing on stage that you can appreciate. And so there's this, this sense of, of giving the power back to the audience that I think is giving it giving agency rather let me say that giving agency to the audience in a way that is distinctly different from a passivity a receptivity yeah yeah i first of all mm. i want to i want to um slightly push back on the idea of of giving agency i think that it that agency is not something necessarily to give but i think it's cultivating agency in in an audience that's a good distinction you know, cultivating yeah, yeah. It's, it's cultivating agency yeah because i think what's happening is like you're you're rightly so you pointed out this wonderful wonderful insight here which is just as much as um the actor goes there is a part of me sitting where the audience is the audience is going i'm there too you know in any good scenario i think in any in any good show you'll feel that right and yeah not necessarily in that i know your experience but it's like i'm with you you know, in a relational sense. Mm -hmm. And so when the audience is with this person, 
it's it sometimes feels to me like a little bit of a like a little bit of a trick because let's say that um we're watching i don't know okay let's say we're watching macbeth right and so you know it's act five uh macbeth is about to destroy the world um and he knows that he's going to fail it's been told to him right and in the audience's idea in the audience's mind is like ooh, wow i really like i'm really i'm like him you know it's kind of like that sensation of even just having a, a, a small thread of that thought like oh i I'm, I'm like that. I'm actually kind of like that, mm-hmm. right? As an audience member, like usually when I see something like that, I want to dive into that. And this is just my experience of watching something. If I feel that bit of me that goes like, ooh, that's kind of like me, I'll allow it that to go, you know, and go, what would it be like to be Macbeth here? So that when Burnham Wood does arrive at my doorstep, it's hell to pay and yeah. it feels terrible, you know? And I think that's for me, the proper meaning of the word catharsis. It's not that the show pulls the emotion out of you as you sit down there waiting for something to happen. It's that one is so engaged within it and participating in the process of catharsis. Catharsis is an active thing that, oh, this part of me that was Macbethian, right? Which might have those um, inclinations and will to power can be objectified through story as a vehicle, through theater as the vehicle. And I can then look at that thing and say, ah, what's that about? And if I had a partner in the actors that were there, Right. In fact, the actor who played Macbeth, right, who goes, yeah, man, I had to wrestle with that thing for 10 weeks. <laughs> you know, great. Yeah, yeah. please share with me yes. <laughs> what that journey was like for you. You know, like that's, that's what I mean by this Gnostic spectatorship proposal is that it needs to move itself. I think much more now than ever, we have the, the means to do that, right, where we can engage in in real conversation with audiences and i love that you brought the post-dramatic thing and the theater of the mind because there is no more wonderful example of that than dungeons and dragons of which right. i'm yeah i'm also a dungeon master so it's like so we'll i i play a i run a campaign based on the mahabharata and so there's a whole <laughs> spiritual level to this thing amazing this is bloody complicated oh i bet wonderful <laughs> yeah but it was ah uh, so oh, you you will love this story so like we were going through um the burning of Kandava and then it's like kind of um <laughs> one of the so my 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 party members um meet up with Arjun right and uh my best friend plays a druid right so he kind of like sees Arjun is like ah this guy that I kind of want to respect and I want to like you know I want to get into his good books sort of you know they get into a clearing. And they sit down and, you know, as a gesture of goodwill, um, my dear best friend uses mold earth on, um, on some, just a, a, pat, a patch of soil in the clearing and he makes a bowl, right? And he says, here, my king, use this. You can drink easier from it, right? And then, you know, Arjun sort of kind of like looks at him 
I, I had so much fun DMing this bit. I was like, Arjun looked at him and he's like, okay. And then my best friend goes like, yeah, it, it's, it's my gift to you from the magical world in which I come from, right? As a traveler, this is for you as a gift. And Arjun looks at it and goes, yeah, well, we do the same thing. And he's like, what? <laughs> I, I have to wave my hand and green things come out. And then it's like, it makes this thing. It's like, what do you mean? And then Arjun literally bends down, takes some soil, molds a bowl out of it over the next five minutes, right? And then gives it back to him and says like, we have magic too. It's just slower. Yeah. Right. And like, my player's mind just got, just got bloody blown because it, it takes away this kind of, this level of um, false conspiracy, right? That's a Around like, oh, let's do this magic. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the bells and whistles, that as much as we have like bells and whistles in the form of, you know, massive like stage lights with 16 colors that you can control and program, meaning, wow, okay, yeah. yeah. In the theater of the mind, right? For, for this particular player, the bells and whistles are this magic spell. And this is what I mean by the transtextual thing that Arjun, like as playing Arjun, right? I tell him that, you know, hey, magic can be found anywhere. It's fine. We just do it slower. I saw that transplant itself into our daily life because we, we run events sometimes and we'll build props out here in the back porch, right? And my best friend took like, was having a lot of trouble with this, with this concept that he was working on. And he was having a hard time because everybody was busy, didn't have much help, right? And so he had to get all of the raw materials and do it himself. And then I was kind of expecting him to like, be kind of upset about it, you know? Because uh, he, used, he used to have done that. And then I went out to sit down and have a chat with him. I asked him, hey man, how are you doing? I'm sorry that I can't help. You know, I'm, I'm also busy with my stuff. And he goes, no, it's fine, man. Like we're still doing this kind of like crazy magical thing. In fact, I'm actually really enjoying it. And then he recounted this story to me mm. um, from D&D. And it's like, ah, nice, huh? You know? <laughs> nice reconnection. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said like, dude, I have the money. I have the budget. I can just pay somebody to do it. But I wouldn't feel as good about, you know, this entire process. And that story taught me that. Something that I wanted to discuss, which is the difference between an actor and a non-actor. <clears throat> which, mm. as I wrote, I kind of recoiled in horror because I feel... You know, we're talking about, and we even, you even said this before we started recording is that everyone's an actor now. Everyone's on Zoom. Everyone has phones with selfie cameras. And because of the prevalence of that, because of our idolizing movie actors, um, putting entertainment as as so prominent in our sort of cultural hierarchy of, uh, of meaning, mm. each of us has this very vivid 
sense of, of projected self. And as you're talking here, it reminded me of something that I wrote and I, I may have even heard somewhere. I don't want to take credit for it, but it was basically that artists aren't special kinds of people, but people are special kinds of artists. And mm. that this comes back to the very foundation of what this show represents is how people of all walks of life generate, transmit, and use creative energy mm. in their life. Mm. I mean, I'm very fond of the, the Noam Chomsky quote that just the fact that people can communicate via spoken language implies a high degree of, of creative yeah. thought and literacy. Yes. That that, to me, implies a a great deal of either hidden potential or uh, unseen resource, not that it's untapped, but that every single person has this innate capacity as mm. a living, breathing, divine, existential extension of, of the world, of the earth, of the cosmos, that when what what the action of acting really focuses on is diving down into every nuance of that creative energy and that anyone can do that and so mm -hmm. i you know getting back to what tiamat and what theater of self really purport to or want to bring out mm. is that potentiality of mm. self-expression to oneself for oneself it's not a performative gesture mm. it is it is a it is a revealing it is a way of it is that ecology of practice right but mm -hmm. that the moment that we think we have a special kind of magic that can create a bowl out of an incantation, right? Mm -hmm. The other person can reach down and grab a hunk of earth and create a bowl. Yeah. That it's a different process. Yes. But that that is ultimately what we're talking about here is how, how we can use these tools to help other people afford this particular type of salience landscaping, which mm. to my mind is, mm, is very nuanced, is very, and I want to avoid language that implies any sort of hierarchical layering. Mm -hmm. Take your time. I'm, it, it really is an enchantment. It's about in, to me, that's the word that encapsulates this process is a love yeah. of, of the sensate function of, of a, I don't want to even say intuitive function because it's, there is certainly an intuition about it, mm -hmm. but it really is an experiential a facility it's and everyone does that differently right there's no 
whether you're doing Meyerhold or Stanislavski, you know, Method or Lecoq or whatever, mm. or, you know, there's all these pedagogies that are finding and giving articulate voice to certain aspects of the instrument. Mm -hmm. But they can be applied, you know, if we're looking at the human body as the instrument of expression, as the instrument of perception, which ultimately we are, right. there's this great quote, quote by Andre Gregory about the strange thing about actors is that we are the instrument and it's up to us to decide if we want to be a banjo, if we want to be a Stradivarius, if we want to be a flute, right? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. And we may change depending on the demands of our environment, de depending on what it is, what music needs to be played like that. And that is, so then it becomes a question of availability. So I mm -hmm. want to return us, if we can, a little bit to about to Tiamat and what the actual practice is. And I want to hear your experience about this. And mm -hmm. what is what is this also kind of bridges the gap uh, around coaching. <clears throat> what it is that you hear, see, sense from your clients, from performers, from people who are engaging in this embodied ecology of practice you call Tiamat, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how it learns from itself, how it grows and where it's headed. Okay. In 15 minutes. <laughs> That's a lot. If you told me 15 seconds, I'd be pissing myself again. Okay. Um, okay. So let me see if I can find a few things which might be helpful here. Um, okay. Maybe in a bit. All right. So uh, we've referenced TMAT and, and theater itself quite a lot. And I realized that the viewers don't really know what TMAT is uh, up to this point. Maybe people have been thinking about it as a Mesopotamian mythical dragon, uh, which is uh, kind of not kind of a coincidence kind of not that it, i was going to ask about the etymology of of that if it was from the enuma elish <laughs> yeah. if it was marduk related or what but and i can uh, give a, short, i can uh, give a yeah. preference at the big uh, a preface uh -huh. at the beginning of the the show to kind of give an overview if that's helpful that's okay but i think uh i i please do that but also um so tmet stands for the integrative approach and methodology of active transformation so we just shorted it, but the coincidence—the coincidence is not—is uh, not purely coincidence. You know, the idea behind Tiamat, or the mythical idea of Tiamat as this—you know—this chaotic function, for me is vital. It's absolutely vital because creativity is the way that we have grown and complexified our world and our instrument, mm -hmm. rightly so. You know, um, Andre Gregory's quote is very, very on point to that extent. So I think something that's, I found, that I found lacking in my time in school was that, you know, we were taught a lot of things. I was taught Lecoq, I was taught um, Michael Chekhov, Linklater, Stanislavski, uh, yeah, primarily those, those things. Um, 
but there was uh, there was no there was no pedagogical support um in terms of a framework of how to bring those things together mm-hmm. it became very much like oh well you you just you you get it or you have to connect those dots yeah i'm like why do i have to connect those dots you know i could learn two disparate things right but if i don't have this missing piece or i don't have the way to build this missing piece for myself they are always going to remain disparate and if they are going to remain disparate then that's a lot more effort required to deconstruct them break them apart try and put them together try and you know spend a lot more time turning them into something that i can truly call my own whatever that is and so tms is attempting to kind of fill that gap and the cognitive science is helping um in that regard of building a method that helps to integrate everything is a method of integration only yeah. it could it can work as a as a um an acting practice in itself uh it definitely does for me i don't know if it if other directors will will find it useful um although <laughs> all the actors who have worked with other directors have all got yeah i have very very little problems in rehearsal now um because tmf functions on our cognition itself and i don't just mean our cognition located only in the mind uh, I, i don't just mean the thinking function i also am talking about the somatic dimension the yes. metacognitive dimension um the transjective rationality dimension which is how we interact with other people you know and in that relational level get higher order states or or achieve higher order states and transcend the self and then we have um the last one which is an active imaginality it used to be called active imagination and now i've swapped it around right it's an active imaginality um and this is leaning into coban's work around the the difference between imaginal and the imagination right yes. so coming back into salient landscaping so um when i say okay let's try and let's try and work on the core mechanics that allow performance to be possible right because now more so than ever we need that because we all have cameras and we can all be aware of being observed by one person by many people whatsoever and i wrote this in a in a paper that i wrote called a dog not named fluffy where if you encounter a dog that is you know really like boisterous and excited and it's you know is leaping up on you and everything you can have that experience with a dog right and at the same time which you can do now that you couldn't do 50 years ago you can go oh honey here take my phone take a picture of this this is great it'll look good on the gram and in a in a funny way it doesn't destroy this experience right this thing is still very salient the dog is still fantastic right it's like you do that but there's a part of everybody's brain that then goes i can take a selfie i can have somebody to go take a look at it right we're portioning that out mm-hmm. in that sense everybody is an actor yes 100% because we're using those same mechanics except that i actors should know how to use that mechanic better <laughs> um because let's face it actors are also facing a mental health crisis and i say that they have quite a big brunt of it yes you know um and of course 
it's been a hundred years plus plus at this point, whereby you know there are many different versions of Stanislavski now, and I'm not just talking about the Strasbourg. I'm not just talking about Uta Hagen. I'm not. I'm talking about individual teachers all have their own take, and it's as recent as like viewpoints. There are many different kinds of viewpoints, and they differ with each practitioner. You know, so why is it? Why is it doing that and and diversifying out and the art and the artists are trying to bring that back in, you know, and where if we just had one integrative approach that is rooted in cognition, in the cognitive science, that's rooted in the way that we are designed to work, then it's kind of like those parts can fit a little bit better together, no. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just look at the body. Never mind the Lecoq body. Never mind the neutral body. Never mind the psychological gesture body. Leave that aside. Look at the body. What's it telling you? What are you feeling inside? Okay, maybe if, like I, I did this with John also, right? So it's like, look, the, the, way, the, way, that you're, the way that you're sitting, right? So if I'm here, it helps that we're both bald, right? Nice. If, if I kind of smile, if I smile the way you do, and I want to try and get your gaze a little bit. Well, the camera's mirrored, so it's the right side. It's the right eye that does that. And to, to kind of bring into play here this ritual balance that I'm talking about. I can take your form. I can adopt your form. And at the same time, I want to observe how that's changing how I'm experiencing this relationship. Could you just say um, there once was a rat named Arthur? There once was a rat named Arthur. There once was a rat named Arthur. You're right. So your throat, your 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 soft palate's lifted. Mm. There once was right. So if I just pay attention to all of these things that are happening, interceptively, proprioceptively with the body, can I, like you did, walking, walking behind that person on the street and go, okay, well, what's their way of being? What's that like? Maybe I'll know how to be a father a little bit, you know, maybe I'll know a little bit about what it's like to live in North Carolina. You know, maybe I'll know what it's like to, to see the world in the way that you do. Hmm. And this is an exercise that we do. Yeah. There is an intuitive leap here, which is crucial, hmm. which is I have to trust that when I inhabit your frame of reference as closely as I can and with as articulate a sense as possible, that the, the information that I receive from that is true. That it is that I have to trust my basic humanness and your basic humanness. That that is the commonality 
that's the substrate of our of our work that that is really that it gets down to the spiritual dimension of it you see i would say that no matter what it is and this is the extension of good faith is that all of this is human yeah all of it right so in that sense even if there is like some kind of dissonance or whatever that dissonance is part of the human being that i'm trying to to embody the identity that i'm trying to take on right um even if it was a character and this is why i bloody respect actors man because they have to not just be priest and sacrificial lamb at the same time mm. is that we've killed the priest and the lamb still has to die mm. so they have to make that identity from scratch we found the material whatever they have and they got to try and piece that together from whatever they've learned and hopefully have some fluency in the technique to craft this identity including parts of themselves decenter from themselves and adopt this identity and its respective salience landscape it's like if you were playing a drunk and there was an alcohol bottle on stage and that thing is not salient to you even in just like sidelined side-eyed like acknowledgement and deliberate avoidance of said alcohol bottle if it's just not within your salient landscaping it's not believable you know um in that same way i think the 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 post dramatic stuff it still applies except that it's sim- it's somewhat potentially maybe a little bit easier because you don't have to construct an identity um yeah. in the form of another human being you might create an abstract salient landscape right so what is it to purely be death or um what is it to be uh water only you know what's the salient landscape of water <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man go go figure it out and i hope stanislavski helps you with that um but it is possible very very much to do and as complex as it is so i feel like i've i feel like i've completely wow wait hang on there's there's a version of you that's in my head that is currently needing to <laughs> i was amazed at off. how your uh, you were able to adopt and bring in even vocal acuity that i could hear very clearly in just adopting that physicality it was impressive very neat <laughs> But the, you know, I want to point and touch on something that you just said, which is, yeah. you know, what is it like to be water? We've done the exercises where you try a character mm. who who moves like water, or who moves like a rat, mm. or who has a dragon's tail, an imaginary dragon's tail behind him that it, that influences how we bring that character to life on stage, and that's a completely hidden world from from the audience like they have mm. no way of knowing that what is actually informing my movement is the element of water and a giant dinosaur tail that i'm dragging through this scene mm-hmm. but as soon as you give or make them aware make someone aware of the potential to inhabit those things for themselves in everyday life. And I'm thinking very much of Irving Goffman's work here, the presentation Mm -hmm. of self in everyday life, that Mm -hmm. if you have 
if you were an a argumentative, disagreeable personality and you're working on that, mm. inhabiting water and inhabiting a, a great blue heron in those moments and allowing that to manifest inside you as an image that you are going to now step into, mm. it's the exact same thing, right? That that's I mm, to me. I'm not so is, sure about that, but yeah, that is that, on, sorry, is, sorry. that is the technology that I think I want to try to help people get is the ability not only to be minutely and directly involved and related to their own salience landscaping, but to mm. generate through this sort of imaginal in the yes, Corban yes. sense, in the trans, uh, transcendent function sense mm, mm. of actual images I that are I am generating from my own mm. internal landscape that are salient to me now that will transport me to types of behavior, types of perspectival knowing that I aspire toward. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, that makes sense. So I, I just want to make sure that like we are not misunderstood here in a sense that there is an element of the symbolic object in this sense um, that if it is uh, too abstract, if it's too far abstracted, it becomes difficult to get at that, that um, how do I say, this transformative distance it's, it's hard to cover that chasm so yes. i'll give you an example right if you tell three different people right who are all argumentative right to embody water maybe one out of three of them will give you a violent storm you know the other person might give you a placid lake the third person might give you a cup from which he drinks from and is bloody empty now you know, so there is something in this sense of um, the idea of internalizing the sage, right? That when it is another human being, first of all, as we as we found out in just that that little um, party trick <laughs> idea, is that there is a human being there, and there is something which I can extend a a good degree of good faith to, and there is also trust from the other person in this case you that i'm not doing it to ridicule you right is i'm taking it very seriously i'm trying to capture all the minute details even to down to the position of your soft palate and the placement of your voice you know mm -hmm. there is a certain degree and i don't mean this word lightly there is a degree of honor oh that absolutely has to be there there's which the I coaching yeah which i cannot apply to bloody water mm -hmm. you know and this means that when it's some, when it is something that is too far abstracted, then the cognition is really complex and, and adaptive. So it can mar that object in ways which are not helpful. And we've seen this um, move into things like spiritual bypassing. Hmm. You know, the 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 pantheons of the world are vast, and so are their deviations. And so when we, when we are clear, very, very clear about, oh, okay, what is, the, what is this metaphysical symbol that I'm trying to embody? Okay, can, but 
how much of that is um how much of that is left with a lot of space i'll just put it that way right mm. space for abstraction that may or may not be hijacked by the kind of processes that one already is suffering under and that's why sages are important and i don't mean sages as in like you know wise people that you can find on google i'm talking about like buddha as a sage socrates right yeah. in in john's case right in jesus of nazareth um even like you know marcus aurelius for example right they're still abstract to a certain extent you know but as you rightly pointed out speech is highly complex and we have the written word to oh add one more layer to this text so there is a symbolic image that's part of the text right to come back into the text subtext context thing right so the text is comprised of this symbolic image it has written text below it right if you can add an element of music to it as well right if you add a degree of uh of somatic practice to it right like um i have a statue of buddha here and so i will i will meditate in that position right really with the hands everything a very lacockian way of doing things mm. right so you have you have these you have these four things okay then there's the imaginal enactment of that right now we have a multi-dimensional symbol multi-dimensional image not just a visual image from which one can enter into and you know you hear this with actors all the time they are they'll have they'll meet directors who you know i once got a note from a director that said like um you got to find the character's voice and it's like, i never really understood what that meant like she did mean it literally as in like you have to find the vocal timbre of this character's voice but there's yeah. there's there's a certain precision to that right so it's not just like i see this picture i pray to it i'm done it's it's also more than that. It's, it's using your entire immanent faculty with honor, with good faith to construct this thing with precision so that you can take it on, not to be any imperpetuity in and unconsciousness for all of life, but to put it on for a while, take it off, put it in dialectic with what currently exists and then see what is disclosed from there that's the whole lexio divina idea it's mm -hmm. just that you do it with the body right you do it with all of the faculties available to you and that's what i would argue is an actual symbolic existential relationship you know and when you have practices um yeah tm very explicitly moves in that direction um but all other acting techniques do that also so okay what do we want to do with this right like that question right. of what do you want to do with theater or self what do you want to, what do i want to do with tiamat it's like i'm more than happy for people to just like email me and, and we can do some we can do some one-to-one -one coaching work or if group classes are available in your area which i hope we can do in in with carolina commons at some point yes. right then okay let's see if i can make this bloody individual and that's where the coaching bit comes in because it's so bespoke it's who are you? How do you function? How do you yeah. work? What's difficult for you? If, if your vocal faculty is low resolution, 
like saying, so you know, you might not have the same quality of, of, of definition in terms of being able to isolate certain parts of it. Okay, great. Teach you. Let's try and learn that. Right. Mm-hmm. Movement. Okay. Try. Do that. But here's the problem. What if somebody doesn't talk? What if they're, they're sedentary and they don't move? Yes. What if they say, I'm not creative. I have no imagination. Yes. Right. Then what do you do? Well, you first have to adjust like really through a place of deep compassionate understanding, I think. And this is my philosophy as a coach, right? Part of my inactive philosophy as a coach. It's like, I want to figure out how you're perceiving the world. If I can figure out how you're perceiving the world, I can see things as you are. So sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll like embody them and they might not know I'm doing that, but I'm trying. Or sometimes I'll explicitly tell them that I'm doing that. If I can figure out how you're perceiving the world, I can maybe start to figure out what motivates you. If I can figure out what motivates you, then I can figure out how you're emotive or what, what, um, what affects you, right? So in the sense of the affective dimension. And then I can figure out how you'd, li- how you'd like to behave or what behaviors come out of that. And then we work backwards. Say, so, okay, great. Let's change the behavior. So instead of, you know, one of my clients maybe like go silent and you know doesn't really talk very much he's now recently gotten into the habit of recognizing when he's silent to get up and move wildly around mm. and he goes it changes the way i see things great because then it comes back to the perception again right the behavior affects the next set of perceptual inputs yeah and then we're on that train over time, to me, that's how you transform. Yeah, It occurs to me while you're saying that, especially when we have compassion for people who either are differently abled, who may not have a literal voice, mm. it occurs to me that this is why many meditative practices, and I would guess even your practice in Tiamat, starts with breath. Mm-hmm. That there's, everything starts with focus of breath all movement originates from breath inspiration literal definition of the etymology starts from breath hearing you talk about your friend and his when he gets silent he realizes he have to move it reminds me of a story when i was working with my theater company i'm the youngest member of this company they're all lecoq trained amazing people they we would do these elaborate um elaborate improvisations were creating content and then we would get down we would write and we would just idea jam and i would be amazed at how brilliant these people were and i would get nothing brain Mm. foggy sitting Mm. there what is that how can these people be so much more creative than i am And one day in rehearsal, out of pure frustration, I got up and I started pacing. Mm -hmm. The moment that I did that, the ideas started coming and more and more. And at that moment, I realized, oh, that's where I have to go in order to enact, in order to connect to those, to that inspiration. I literally have to breathe with my whole body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think 
we have a lot more conversations to have <laughs> oh, yeah. around this, around this work, around this, <laughs> these things. So yeah, we've only just laid like the macro umbrella. Yes. yes we haven't part gotten one. deep into the weeds yet. Part one. <laughs> part one of 50. We're going to do our own making sense of the theater crisis. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Ethan, yeah. it's an absolute pleasure and honor to hang out and to share your ideas. Thank you for your gift. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. I want to be with you more again, many times over. <laughs> so thank you very much for having me, brother. Likewise. We'll be in touch. Hi. Arigato gozaimasu. Arigato. Thank you.